0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDIC. Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at BrickLane Brewing. We are grateful for BrickLane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also... The Daily Episodes, Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the Daily Episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers, we'd love to get that to 25,000, so if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe, and then you'll never miss a video. In cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. But thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of The Final Word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and The Final Word.
1: It's Far Away Cricket Podcast, Adam Collins and... Jeff Lemon down the Zoom screen, as always. We have another packed weekly show for you. Uh, We had the vaccine game. I'm going to give you a a summary of that. Maybe even indeed a 30 second summary. We'll see how I'm feeling. We're going to talk about Vrat Kohli no longer being India's T20 captain as of the end of the T20 World Cup, not to mention his changes at the RCB. We're talking to Maver Duma, if you don't mind. She was the feature, she was the focus She was the the centre point of our show last week Well she's going to be talking to us today When she gets home from school at 4pm in Cameroon It's Monday morning, well where mm-hmm. she is at the moment, Monday afternoon And we are going to be recording our interview with her When she gets home from school, having returned from that tournament Which is quite staggering when you consider <laughs> um, the international cult hero she became uh, last week New Zealand will not be playing against Pakistan We don't know about England yet But that's going to be a conversation that we have There's nerd pledge, there's loads of women women's cricket all around the world. Jeff, welcome to you.
2: Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here and, yeah, looking forward to getting into the uh, the detail at the back end of the show because, you know, I'm I'm feeling good about, I picked this, I said the New Zealand women's team weren't going gonna to win games against England. In fact, when they needed to chase 190, I was doing the OBO and I said, they're not going to do it. I put that in writing, I was like, they're, they're not going to get there and they didn't. Not a cause of celebration, but sometimes it's nice to be right. So we will we, we'll get into the detail of all of that, um, <laughs> the back end of the show. But I'm I'm excited about the next hour or so in your company.
1: Yes, and the high watermark of the final word week uh, was at the mighty Dulwich Cricket Club on Friday. We finally had the vaccine game, which in the end was anything but the vaccine game. <laughs> I don't think the word COVID was mentioned once. Well, let alone a, an inoculation. Uh, through the course of the many, many hours we spent there, uh, the game started at four. Uh, we were there till they kicked us out at eleven. So we really did uh, honour our commitment to put some money, you know, into the club uh, after the game finished. And it could not have been a more perfect game, Jeff. Uh, I'll actually avoid the 30-second summary in favour of just walking you through uh, mm-hmm. the day because it deserves um, a bit more attention than 30 seconds. Our team. Uh, the final word 11, a reminder we were playing the Oval Dream Boys, who are another team that I'm I'm aligned with, but had all sorts of friends of ours who were playing on both teams, really. it It was quite a convivial affair, but we agreed beforehand that we would bat first. What I didn't quite factor in beforehand was that I didn't know how good the opposition's bowlers would be or any of that, <laughs> let alone our own team, who I'd never seen in large part play before. Right. And John Surtees, who was, he was the captain of the Dream Boys on the day, we talked in the morning about what cricket balls we would use, and he managed to, to pocket two uh, test balls from Surrey, so two balls that would have been used in a test match last week. So I think for the standard of game that we were expecting, it might be. We thought it would be quite a low standard of game. In the end, it was quite quite decent at different points. But we had two brand new Duke's <laughs> test match balls, which which was a bit of a highlight. One did didn't last very long. Did they move? Well, one didn't. One did, well, absolutely they did. Uh, well, when Declan Price and Matty Boland were bowling with it, it was, it was talking. Not to mention Yazrana they were all getting it to hoop around for us. Uh, Later on But the ball The Dream Boys were using Only lasted about four overs Because Dan Price Hit a gigantic six He's, you know 20 years old Good cricketer Came down from Cambridge uh, For the game Along with Will Day Bless them They both made a long journey And stayed till stumps too And in the case of Dan Didn't get home till 4am After he missed a train connection And couldn't get a cab uh, When he reached his station At the other end he hit a massive six out of the ground onto the train tracks, which is exactly where David Hooks hit six sixes when he was a, an overseas pro at Dulwich in the 70s, so a bit of a, <laughs> a, a bit of a link back to Australian cricket there. But yeah, he retired on his 30 or 32 or something like that with a couple of big sixes and batted beautifully. He had Will with him early on. I can't remember who batted three. Maybe it was Matty. Oh, we had Wayne Rowland, who Jeff was at our live show at Hampstead a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. an old, an old uh, pal of mine from Hampstead who listens to the show. Matty Boland, who you had Basab Majumda came in at five I think then it was Tony King at six and so it went and we in the end we didn't get much beyond that because we batted through our overs and made about 125 I think which wasn't a bad effort on a fairly sluggish pitch so we, we felt quite confident that we had the right combination of bowlers to squeeze the dream boys and squeeze them we did uh, Yaz, <laughs> squeeze Yaz Bowl. the dream boys,
2: what a, what a phrase, <laughs> what, a, what a concept. Well, Yaz with the new ball was a very good cricketer.
1: And Joey Harmon, who uh, who obviously edits Wisdom Cricket Monthly, we talk about Joey a fair bit in the middle of the show, uh, he took the new ball with him. We had an American fella playing for the Dream Boys who'd never played cricket before, and he Love lined that. up like a baseballer. Yep, he classic. Line, he lined up with swinging the bat around his head, you know, like batter-up style. And then I think it was Yaz bowled him and he swung so hard there's a brilliant photo which Caroline took and we might talk about Caroline and the photos in a bit more depth in a moment but where it's like I'm going to nominate this photo for the Wisdom Picture of the Year next year for the Almanac and see whether it can get shortlisted shortlisted rather it is like the perfect uh, sort of I don't want to say village cricket, but, you know, he's looking at slogging cow corner, yeah. slogging, whilst he's losing his off stump. And the eyes of Dan, <laughs> is wicket-keeping, have lit up, like, how, how did he do that? Uh, so that was a, a nice little part of it. I think Dan had played, as in uh, American Dan, had played college football or something like that. So mm-hmm. certainly never played cricket before. So yeah, hopefully he'll be a guy that plays
2: for many years. Better for the run.
1: Yes. Oh, and the one person I left out in terms of batting was Declan Lawler, who, of course, has been deeply involved in what we've been doing especially on the weekend show with the Lord's Tabs. Of course, he tried to run the the Thames track. He only had seven toenails left at the end of that, or he might have lost... Mm. Seven toenails, whatever it was, toenails were
2: involved, and many of them died in mm. the process. The number of the, the number seven was involved. So I hope that yes, he, I hope he dealt in boundaries only and didn't do, take any runs.
1: Well, he 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 did a little bit of that, but more impressively, when he came on first change, he was bowling to Dean Wilson from the Mirror, who is a very good cricketer. I've played a fair bit of cricket with Dino in various games in years gone by. I remember one day he made a hundred unbeaten runs at the Oval across three games that we played there in a corporate competition. So Dino can can really play played juniors for Middlesex and, and that kind of thing through the ranks and suddenly went from being a social game and Dino said me at the end of the over this is serious cricket right now Declan who's quick uh, and athletic mm-hmm. charging in from the pavilion end bowling with a brand new test match Dukes ball probably at around about 5.45 in the evening in September so a little bit dark <laughs> Dino having to really scrap hard to stay in there and played some quite lovely shots he ended up retiring but Declan bowled the house down and thus began this sort of push and pull through the middle overs so we had matt bowl and bowl some very useful medium pace will day said to me uh, that i bowl 1920 stump to stump uncovered pitch stuff okay perfect for this surface <laughs> so he came on and bowled as he described slow straight mostly stump to stump found the outside edge at one point with dan taking a brilliant catch up to the stumps and then the secret weapon was basab's son diego now But Sub sent me a message on Friday afternoon and said, I'm not sure about this. The standard might be beyond me. I'm in my 50s now. Maybe my son should play in my place. To which I said... Let's do both. Let's have mm-hmm. Diego and you both play in one spot. One more bat, one more bowl. So Basab batted,
2: right. Diego actually fielded for the opposition. Someone short at the time. The Majumdar yeah. hybrid cricketer. The
1: Majumdar hybrid cricketer. And 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 the young fella. I think he told me he's twelve years old. And if he's not twelve years old, that's certainly how I thought of him in my head. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, so I'll it's hold a, him. A back real
2: shade and, of Freddy moment. You're like, he yeah, could, that's right. He could be twelve. He could be nineteen, but he could be twelve. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's certainly playing juniors cricket for London schools and that kind of thing. And I thought, I'm going to hold him back until he's bowling with the long boundary on the leg side, off spinner. You know, want to make sure that we give him every opportunity to succeed. Mm -hmm. Took three wickets in two overs, completely turned the match, (laughs) including a catch by Tilo Fobb, who was much like me. I, I, I didn't bat and didn't bowl. And Tilo didn't bat and didn't bowl. Perhaps I made a mistake not batting, but be that as it may. And Tilo took... A crucial catch at mid wicket from the bowling uh, of young Diego at the time where the game could have gone either way, and we were able to put the clamps on and keep squeezing. But the, then there was the a Jody twist, Hicks of, course.
2: of the TFW 11, Tilo Fobbe.
1: Absolutely, Tilo but it was, it was it was an excellent catch, and he dined out of it all night. He wore his Cameroon football top afterwards in, in honour of Maver Duma. <laughs> and then it gets down to the final three overs, and we have 30 runs to defend. And they're down to their last partnership before Dean is the retiree. So a circular retirement mm-hmm. where Dean's permitted to come back at yep. the fall of the ninth wicket. So Taha Hashim, excellent young writer for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, broke the Azim Rafiq story, mostly known for his off spin in our circles, mm-hmm. certainly not known for his batting. He batted magnificently, kept them in it, hit the rope four or five times like at the clutch moment, probably from 40 to win when he came in, but 30 in the last three overs. Took down Declan, who's quick, uh, as I mentioned before, and we had Yaz to bowl the 19th, and Yaz went around a bit I think, actually, and it was last over, 20th over, and I think we had 12 runs to play with, and then Alan Edgar, who is one of my great mates who, again, has been uh, uh, a number of nerd pledges. Mm -hmm. Alan doesn't play these days, uh, but he does umpire, as does my friend Graham Starkey, who's a proper ECB umpire, who was there decked out in his proper kit. They were both officiating the game, and Alan <laughs> called two wides to start the 20th over, the first of which I can kind of see, the second of which Alan did intentionally to keep it close. So, you know, in the spirit of what we were trying to do, mm-hmm. engineer a final ball finish. Well, then what would have been a couple of dot balls, I think, in shoe, then I think it's Yaz strikes a beautiful boundary through cover point, and we're like, shit. It basically got down to three runs to win, two balls left. <laughs> And then their number 11... So bearing in mind that Dino's still to come. And their number 10, I think his name was Andy, I reckon, Mm -hmm. edged one behind and Dan took a stunning catch, diving away to his right and low. You know, proper catch, Mm -hmm. serious proper catch in the fading light, which meant that Dino walks out, Three One runs to win, to face. final ball. So effectively a boundary to win the game. The ground probably wasn't big enough to, to facilitate running a three. So we kind of had the umbrella field and then I brought them all in for the second last ball, well, with the exception of a couple of sweepers, got the edge, then had seven out and two in for the last ball at midweek and cover. And Dino did smash it straight to backward point, Out to uh, where we had Will Day Long barrier Got the knee down Made sure the ball wasn't getting through A safe return to Dan They take a single They don't get back for the second Which means that we win the game On the final ball By one run (laughs) (laughs) Mm,
2: Italian fingers I'm doing Italian fingers right now (laughs) Perfect Perfect. Could could not have been any better. It's it's up there with the the Cam Fink hitting eighty six not out in his first game of cricket, and then nicking off when the scores are level. At the last <laughs> ball. Uh,
1: <laughs> it did feel. I mean, it, it did have that sense that the whole way through. Certainly when we were fielding. Every over, there was so much riding on. Like, the game could have twisted at any point. It could have broken free. They could have broken free at any point. But we just kept taking wickets just to slow them down. They had a couple of guys that clearly had played cricket, like proper cricket, mm-hmm. who got out early in their innings, which kept things close. That's what you need in a social game, I suppose, to yep. not let anyone necessarily get away, apart from Dino, who hit two massive sixes off Will into the pavilion at one point to retire. He retired in dismay. He's like, just when he got his eye and he had to walk off. But yeah, a final ball finish, played in amazing spirit you know there there was one piece of fielding where matt dived away to his right full effort had to do everything to to haul it in and there was some sort of debate as to whether it was four or not but Matt said no. I kept it in, and they were cool with that, and that's the way it should be. So the right spirit was mm. adhered
2: to there. And some teams, some teams, with that one off the, you know, the catch off the last, the second last ball, some teams might have dropped that catch. You know, some teams might have stopped it, stopped the runs, and then oh, fumble, whoops, oh, we dropped it. You know, to so. stop Dino getting in. That's right.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Dino was worried about that. He did say to me, you ca- "Don't Clive Law this on me. Like, don't engineer it that I don't get in." And I, and I, and we didn't. Right? We tried to get the wicket. We had the field spread, but it was spread strategically and not with a view to having nine on the rope and just making sure they couldn't Mm. get out we did have fielders in and we did try to try to get them out I wouldn't have minded had Dino walked in with an over to go we would have lost but it wouldn't have been a problem well I say we would have lost Declan's contest with Dino earlier would have been resumed at you know 645 very much in fading light (laughs) had it been a super over well John Surtees because Greg has bowled beautifully for the other mob who usually plays with me, and the suggestion was he was going to bowl the Super over. I reckon we would have needed to have done a bowl off because it was just too dark. It would have been too dark by then. But, yeah, there, there was some... In addition to those who played, I think I've listed everybody there, there was this wonderful support. So we had... I mentioned Caroline before. I gave her my camera and she took about 300 photos and just nailed it. Some glorious shots of everybody in the team. I've been sending a link around on the on the, uh, on the Discord channel, but if you want to have a look at those photos, let me know. Deb Ishis was there with Mel Shorley, They've been at a game together recently. We had Anna, who I think also went along with Mel, and Deb to a game possibly at the Oval. Matthew Jones was there with one of his colleagues from work. Nick Tuvey was there. Pat Noon and Anne were there who are friends of ours but also listened to the show. So we had this great variety of people sort of cheering us on And loads of people brought their families Like Winnie was with there with me With Rach for the first bit anyway Before she went home to go to bed And um, we had at one stage Steve Dobb was there with his little daughter Indy Who uh, met us at Dulwich Hamlet recently So a great turnout of final word people we, we gave player of the match to Dan for his 30 And the brilliant catch We didn't have anything to give him But um, we certainly made clear to him That he would need to play for the final word And I think they recruited him to the Oval Dream Boys as well For future games Which is uh, you know again in the spirit of social cricket I actually saw Dan and his oh. dad at the game yesterday at Worcestershire, the England-New Zealand game They would just happened to be there where I was walking up and down to the commentary box all day So we had a big weekend of cricket, Dan
2: <laughs> uh, Well, I, I will try to bring Dan some Brick Lane merch next time yes. I get over to the UK I'll, I'll bring a swag bag of stuff from from BLB uh, So, yeah, looking forward to seeing some of the pictures And uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get hold of some things to post up on the patreon uh during the week, I guess.
1: And just in closing, Mark Henderson from Dulwich. The game wouldn't have happened without him. So Dulwich Cricket Club are doing great things with women's and girls cricket across the road at the Griffin. We talked about it last week. Uh, there's a link in the show notes last week with daughter Anna, who I met as well, the leg-spitting prodigy, 10 years of age. But yeah, so they, they've supported us. Obviously, we've, we've had a great time there and we'll play there again. But that's a club that I feel like we now have this close bond to at Dulwich and, and will be part of what they're doing into the future. And to the umpires, Alan and Graham. Uh, standing out there for 40 overs what they get in return they got plenty of beers but um and, and other people who sent money through behind the bar we had um we had <laughs> lara killick sent for 100 quid behind the bar which was just delightful i think the dream boys drank all of that before we got off the park but that was fine and uh, i think matthew put some money behind and guy did as well so yeah it, it was a nice way to enjoy the festivities afterwards
2: all right excellent well now we'll have to do the antipodean version once you manage Definitely. to negotiate your way down To Australia for the Southern summer. We'll see what sort of final word match we can stage, um, hopefully, in Melbourne. Couldn't agree more.
1: Jeff, on to the professional game. Vrat Coley
2: has stood down
1: as India's T20 captain and the RCB captain as of the end of the the T20 World Cup and this uh, current IPL, respectively, which makes a lot of sense. This is a guy who's been captaining all three formats and his IPL franchise forever. uh, And now he gets the chance to just focus on one-day cricket and test cricket. And as Dan Bredig noted, it's very different when you're hosting a World Cup at home. He'll be doing that or oh, I suppose at the moment kind of sort of in the UAE, but then the one-day World Cup in 2023, which is going to be just a gigantic tournament uh, with Coley in charge at home, as was the case for Dhoni back in 2011. And he gets the chance just when, I suppose, his test games just just plateaued a little bit to get a, find a way to find just a little bit more time in his incredibly busy schedule. It seems like a very sensible decision.
2: I, I like it from Coley because the way he's perceived is that he's this giant ego who couldn't stand to let anybody else be in charge of things, you know, had to, had to run everything, had to have the final say in how everything goes. And, you know, this indicates that's, you know, even if that was the case at one point, it's not the case anymore. He's done those jobs for long enough. Frankly, captaining an IPL team seems like an absolutely banana's sort of enterprise. <laughs> if you're captaining an IPL side, you you are tasked with pretty much building the team, you know, you're you have a huge amount of input into the kind of players you get, the kind of style you play, the tactical approach. I mean, it's not just the on-field stuff. It's a year-round job really captaining an IPL side, let alone trying to captain the biggest cricket country in the world in all three formats. It it is crazy that he's been as successful as he has basically uh, over the 14 years that he's been playing international cricket so yeah I I really like the move because as you say there's there's the dip you know it's not a it's not a terrible dip and the interesting thing is that T20 internationals have been his best format for India over the last couple of years while he's been not raking in runs in 50 over or Test versions, he's been making a lot of 50s and unbeaten sort of 80s and 90s and so on for the T20 side, which have sort of offset his other you know, less good Mm. numbers. But it is notable. I mean, you know, a lot of people are on this train of how long has it been since Coley's made 100 now, which is interesting because I feel like I've been watching it since day one because I was interested in his overall count. He's got 70 international hundreds, but he had that number a couple of years ago. And he was making an average of six or seven international hundreds a year across his whole career. So when he stopped doing that, even for a period of a few months, it seems really noticeable. And now that it's got to a couple of years, it's particularly noticeable. So, you know, whether whether this turns that around a bit, it, it can't hurt basically to give him a little bit more time to concentrate on his own game, even though captaining, captaining your country in one day international and test cricket is not a small job
1: yeah, and, it, and it's, it's, yeah, there's so much in this, isn't there? But, I mean, he's not going anywhere as a player. And you hear this from the best captains, don't you, that their principal job is to, is to bat, really. He's still going to be there in all three formats for India. He's still going to be their most important player, their barometer, if you like. He's still going to be at the RCB. He's got, obviously, deep links not only to the club on the field but off the field as well. So not much will change, I suppose, as the guy in the middle of the ground batting it's just that he removes that as you say that that considerable responsibility in IPL land which is such a an intense experience to begin with and then for T20 internationals it's I suppose a a move that is a, a nod towards the future as well which is what a good leader should be doing succession planning it's all good and well to have Coley leading all three formats but this does mean that they can look to generation next with that T20 side, as other countries have done in the past and use it as a, mm. a little bit of a nursery for... you'd, be, you'd be surprised if it wasn't Rohit Sharma, though, who takes over. Well, maybe so, maybe so, but in terms of who Rohit might have with him in his leadership group, for example and the fact that they're having a World Cup in the format before he moves along and Coley will be there in Australia playing in that team the year after, so yeah, it feels like the timing's perfect and I wouldn't be surprised if it corresponds and correlates, rather with a very productive uh, period for Coley, the batter, and let's hope so because, Jeff, I mean, we we thought he would cruise to 100 international centuries and maybe he still will but that looks yeah perhaps less certain than, than it might have uh, mm. a couple of years ago as for the IPL which had its restart yesterday the Chennai Super Kings beat the Mumbai Indians by 20 runs Jeff there was a bit of a misfire at the start in terms of the way that bizarre there were there were, wicket, there were wickets everywhere down. until I mean they I mean it was it took a long time to settle down put it that way
2: well, five of the top six made seven runs between them, mm. and then the other one, <laughs> the other, this the standout um, guy, Cord makes eighty-eight from fifty-eight balls opening the batting. Not just that, but pulls out the sweep shot against Jasper Boomerah, sweeps him for six, sweeps Trent Bolt for six, which is you know a little less difficult, I suppose. Ben Stokes did that pretty effectively. Um, Bolt's not as quick, but still a very good T Twenty bowler, but. The way that Boomer was bowling through the Test Series, you know, in – I mean, he's been in terrific form for about – 4 years straight but you know there aren't a lot of players playing the sweep shot against Jasper Boomer put it that way and it ended up being a match winning hand because he yeah. got them a total they were able to defend.
1: Yeah and Bravo making was it 23 and 9 balls and I think Tim Wigmore pointed out this morning Bravo's batting number 9 in the West Indies World Cup team so you know it just it's a bit of a reminder that they are they are lurking the West Indies in that big tournament mm-hmm. coming up in about a month from now. KKR play RCB in a game that's starting about an hour after we're recording so we'll have Glenn Maxwell in action there. One of 13 Australians playing in his tournament, uh, seven of whom will remain in the UAE for the World Cup. So you've got Maxwell, Christian Warner, Stephen Smith, Marcus Stornis, Josh Hazelwood, Nathan Ellis, and then those who aren't in the World Cup squad, Moses Enriquez, Chris Lynn, Nathan Coultonal, Ben Cutting, Tim David, who, I mean, where he fits in exactly is unclear, but let's call him an Australian for the purpose of the exercise, mm-hmm. Ben Dorsius, and uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. yeah, yeah. But, but still there, yeah, there's, there's a lot yeah. out, even though a, a number of them said no, it's not as though there's not a strong Australian influence in this IPL.
2: I love that Tim David is having such a good time, you know at at a time when a lot of cricketers are sitting out, deciding not to get involved and so on. Tim David's having the time of his life. The guy with two first names, you know, doesn't need a last name to stand out. He's in England playing in the 100. He's playing county cricket. He's in the IPL. He's everywhere. He's the greatest Singaporean player going around the circuit at the moment. And everything seems to be working for him. He's playing well wherever he goes. And I don't know, it's lovely to see there are still those those stories, those possibilities from time to time or place to place that someone can get a go in a domestic T20 comp, make a splash in the Big Bash or the, the Caribbean Premier League or whatever it is, and suddenly they've got themselves a career. Yeah, whenever I see
1: Tim David, I immediately think about what it
2: would be like if Craig
1: David was playing in the IPL right now. Took him for a drink. Uh, well,
2: <laughs> the crowd would say, Bo, select him. <laughs> Thursday, Friday,
1: Saturday, chill on Sunday. Uh, Jeff, uh, on to weight here matters. Not to say the IPL isn't a hefty competition, but the next topic we're going to discuss is quite serious, and that's the... Uh, the New Zealand cancellation of their tour in Pakistan on the morning mm. of the first one-day international. They were already out there and they were ready to roll. This is a difficult conversation uh, for similar reasons that when we went through the Afghanistan uh, situation last week, we, we tried to do so looking at all points of view without being too uh, hot-takey. And I think that we will try and do the same thing here rather than offering conclusions. Because as I put on Twitter as soon as this news broke, I am not qualified to talk about the security situation in Pakistan, (laughs) nor is anyone. It doesn't stop a lot of people trying. It doesn't stop a lot of uh, usual suspects asserting what they think to be true and and so on. On the basis of security advice, And New Zealand uh, didn't proceed with that tour. Now, I think to set this up, a lot of Australian listeners to this podcast should remember that Australia have pulled out of a lot of tours on security grounds before. On I mean, the top of my head, ninety-six World Cup in Sri Lanka, two thousand and two in Pakistan, not long after the Karachi bombings, which was the year after. Um, well, sorry, that was in two thousand and one, wasn't it? Or early two thousand and two when when New Zealand had to leave the, the previous time, uh, two thousand and two mm-hmm. in Zimbabwe, two thousand and eight in Pakistan as well, and there'll be others that I that I can't think of from the top of my head. You want to go back further? There's England's tour in nineteen eighty in india which was beset by security issues so i mean and then of course 2009 the horrible events of 2009 which put pakistan in the wilderness as far as hosting international cricket for the better part of a decade so it's not like this is the first time this has happened jeff it just feels more serious because in the last few years what we had south africa or even the last year south africa sri lanka bangladesh the west indies, west indies. zimbabwe all go to Pakistan, and England were very, very positive about going to Pakistan. Look, they might still go mm-hmm. for all we know there 'll be news on this while we between recording and, and publishing, but England haven 't formally made a decision, but they were right on the front foot about returning to Pakistan with both a, a men's and women 's team this october so it 's I suppose less about the the act of not going on a tour because of security concerns and more how far down the path I feel like we got with Pakistan this feels abrupt and of course it's expressly related to what's happening in Afghanistan.
2: That's the concern is that it becomes a domino effect once one team pulls out then there's so much more pressure on the other boards to say well do they know something we don't know Uh, do will we be putting our players at risk if we insist on going when when others haven't and yeah, look, Australia have a history of it. I think we can sort of forget how big a deal some of these things were as well. When Australia refused to play in Colombo in Sri Lanka in 1996, I mean, that was at the height of the Tamil-Singalese war. The, there were terrorist attacks going around. There was military responses to it. There was violence all over uh, in at different times. But it was still taken as a massive insult by the entire Asian bloc that was hosting that World Cup that Australia would refuse to play in Colombo. And there was a a very staunch refusal to countenance rescheduling those games or or anything of, of the sort. The same thing happened in 03 at the World Cup in Africa and it was New Zealand then who refused to play in Nairobi in Kenya because, again, they had some sort of government intelligence that said that there were terrorist operations in Nairobi. Why they would have been targeting the New Zealand cricket team was a question that they were never able to adequately answer. But they refused to play, the ICC refused to relocate the game and they, they forfeited that much and, and forfeited the points. But that was coming a year after they'd had the bomb go off outside their hotel in Pakistan. So they were very touchy about how they were going to manage any sort of situation where there was any sort of danger. So New Zealand have a track record in this regard and, and I guess that's the first thing that it makes me think of is is this, this sort of over-cautiousness that is then going to cause a cascade of problems for Pakistan. But, of course, we've got no way of knowing what the actual intelligence is and whether it is excessive caution or whether it's something more tangible than that.
1: Yeah, so a couple of things here. First of all is that you are right. It is unlikely that it will ever become public uh, what this advice said explicitly that would be irresponsible uh it wouldn't be prudent for them to share the intelligence they've been gathering so yeah that, that that's one point here the other point is that rich dickinson has been advising the new zealand team he or advising cricket new zealand rather australian base from queensland i think he, he also looks after the the ecb's security assessments like an independent kind of oversight on all of this and he used to work with the pcb so he knows this inside and out and that would lead one to the conclusion that if he's advised NZC not to proceed here, that the probability of England sending two teams in a month from now must be pretty slim. And I'm sure the influence that will have on Australia. So you mentioned the domino effect. I said exactly that on Twitter when when this news came through. It'll give sort of political cover for England if they don't want to go. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way, like they're looking for a reason to get out of it. But if there was any hesitancy about England going, the ECB have now got, you know, that that shield of New Zealand having not gone. And, you know, Australia has a pretty dreadful track record with this stuff at the best of times. So I'm sure they'll, they'll slip into that stream as well uh, in the fullness of time. So there's all of that going on. My own insight from this is that, going back to 2008, when Australia didn't go to Pakistan, where they were scheduled to go in the March of that year, they Mm. didn't because of violence around the election in Pakistan in February 2008. The Australian government were involved in briefing Cricket Australia. Essentially, DFAT were working with CA, providing their best advice after there were a number of suicide bombing events, which through the whole tour into disarray and at the time the government and the foreign minister Stephen Smith you know backed in CA quite strongly saying that it's important to sort of take the advice of of the government where you can so there will be and the reason I cite that is this there will be a collaboration going on there I'd imagine between New Zealand cricket their independent advice they're receiving their foreign service their intelligence agencies this isn't like a decision made in a vacuum there's a lot of different inputs so Mm -hmm. I think that from an integrity perspective, I'm willing to accept on face value that they were trying to play that series, especially given they were already there bit different if they weren't there and it was on the eve of flying out, but they were willing, they were were playing that day. I mean, they pulled out the morning of the game. So yeah, Yeah. so quite, quite a lot, quite a lot to consider there about, I suppose the process, Jeff, like there's no perfect answer as with a lot of these things. It's just a case of trying to get an understanding of how we've reached this point.
2: I I suppose the, if I take, the cynical view of not, not necessarily this specific case, but more broadly the way these kind of processes work. It's a bit like if I'd use the analogy of defamation lawyers at a newspaper, anytime an article goes to legal, they have to find something to take out of it in order to justify the fact that they have a job, you know, because the level of risk aversion gets so high that there is then a, a fear from the people who've got that job, that if they don't make a recommendation and something does happen, then it's even more on them. You know, that they bear too much responsibility to countenance taking even an an acceptable level of risk. And so that is the thing that I wonder about when you've got people employed as security consultants, risk assessors, all that sort of stuff. Is there pressure on them to come up with something that sounds interesting to not make something up, but to give something more weight than it should have? And if they do that, is that then enough to sway a nervous cricket board for instance who are not experts in the field and who don't necessarily know how to weigh up or assess that information they can only take the information that they're given and if it is presented in a certain way maybe it makes them inclined to say well we can't do this yeah well
1: that was certainly the criticism of cricket
2: australia back in
1: 2015 when they didn't go to bangladesh it was that they were looking for a reason not to go that it suited them very well at the end of a long Ashes campaign to not have to splice in two test matches against Bangladesh at the time, and I mean, you know, that's questioning the integrity of someone like Sean Carroll, which I'm not going to do. I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to say that someone that had that role for that long was like effectively writing a sexed-up dossier. That that's not what my point is. But but there was not but there but there were but there were people it's deliberate. No, no, but, but I'm just yeah. No, I, I get your point. Whether
2: there's a whether there's a tendency to go too far. Yeah, an,
1: an implicit bias to go one way, right? For the you know, you get something and you can... But at the time, there were people who were making the criticism that, well, they just didn't want to go and they found a way not to go. And here we are sort of six years later and that that wouldn't feel like an unsafe country to visit. No-one's had a a problem visiting Bangladesh since then as far as I'm aware. Australia was the outlier in that situation. But this isn't really about Australia at the moment. It's about, you know, what's going on with New Zealand and England in the immediate term. And, I mean, I saw Rami Pakistan. More
2: broadly, where yeah. where Afghanistan is boiling over, the interrelationship between those two countries is deep. Uh, it's detailed. They there's a, a sort of singular ecosystem uh, almost. That so much of the last twenty years has involved a, a spilling back and forth over. You know, the border is notional in that sort of area. The growth of islamic extremism of the sort that flourishes in afghanistan has a lot of it's been grown in pakistan there's also the the inverse where a lot of people who are opposed to that sort of thing have had to flee afghanistan and ended up living in pakistan yep. so the conflict continues the you know some of the the absolute horrors that we've seen visited upon pakistan's own people by pakistani militants and extremists over the past couple of decades you know we we all remember those with an absolute shudder. And so it's certainly never far from being possible that 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 sort of thing can happen again. It probably will happen again. And conditions are rife at the moment for for that to go off.
1: Yeah, and that's where you feel for, I mean, the PCB. Rumi's Raja, who has just been appointed to the position of chairman of the PCB, I think it Mm -hmm. is, was very strong in his wording about how they will take this to the ICC, they will fight this, they will try and get... NZC yeah. to, to pay a price for this because in his eyes or their eyes, the PCB, this is not a justified decision on mm. the basis of what they are reporting back to New Zealand and the conditions and I suppose all of the different safeguards that they would have issued to New Zealand to get them there in the first place. They feel this is an affront. So and you know, while yeah. and if you if you're the PCB, you'd be bloody petrified about what this means because they've been isolated for a well, the better part of a decade once before. They were also isolated back in 2001, 2002. I mean, of course, the horrors of the 2008 uh, Mumbai massacre, followed by uh, what happened in early 2009 with the Sri Lankan team. It builds up a perception. And, you know, I hate it when I, I, t- I posted about this the other day, and I hate the, the ultra nationalism from non Pakistanis who just assert that Pakistan are a bunch of terrorists and stuff. I mean, it's, mm. it's disgraceful when people behave in that way. And by that, I mean just carte blanche suggesting that an entire nation of people can't be trusted to host international yep. cricket because they're all terrorists. It's just, It's just not on. And you get this kind of backlash, and I feel desperately for the many wonderful cricket people, Jeff, that you and I have met from Pakistan, who would love nothing more than to have international cricket return there. And they are desperate for it, only for it to now look like it's, it's going to leave the country again for an indefinite stretch of time. I unfortunately can't see any other outcome after the decision taken last week. And even though England owe Pakistan an enormous debt of gratitude... Big time. Pakistan came out last year in the middle of COVID when there was no vaccine. Uh, the West Indies likewise, Australia and Ireland too, they came out to this country in the middle of the plague with no protection And anyone could have got ill at any time, and miraculously they didn't. ECB and and other countries owe Pakistan for doing the right thing. That's why I think ECB really actually wanted to discharge their duty on this. But, Mm. I mean, are they going to receive advice that's radically different to NZC? I don't know. I mean, we we, we got told there would be a decision made within forty eight hours. That's seventy two hours ago, and apparently the board yet to meet to to finalise the decision from the ECB. As I say, maybe between yeah. us recording and publishing that that might have changed. But it, it does, you know, I suppose reinforce that they are thinking about
2: this long and hard. Mm. Uh, it it does make you think that maybe there's some chance they will still go. If they have yeah. if they were going to bail, you would have thought they'd bail a bit sooner than this. But, you know, had New Zealand and England gone ahead as planned, Australia would pretty much have had to go because they would have been outliers. But even if England go now, given that New Zealand have already pulled out, Australia won't. I guarantee you Australia's series will be in the UAE next year and that's without having spoken to anybody about it. I'm, I couldn't be more sure that that's what will happen. So... Yeah. Yeah, like you say, I just desperately feel for people in Pakistan who want to see some level of of normality in this regard but who just don't have that. It doesn't seem possible.
1: Uh, Jeff, before we take a break on the final word uh, this week, I think we should find time to do one number of...
2: (inaudible) Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge. It's uh, the reverse quiz, the game we play with people on our Patreon page. They support the show. They fund the show by sending us contributions, but not normal amounts of currency, specific amounts, cricket amounts, and we have to work out what their number means. Our number today comes in from friend of the show, Elisa Daly. Hello. And the number is $6.75. Uh, okay.
1: Well, why don't we both have a swing at this, Jeff? I'll, I'll I'll set them up and you knock them down. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Okay. I like it. Well, I don't think it's going to be Keaton Jet Jennings, who was the, uh, the 675th Englishman to play Test Cricket. It's never been taken as figures in international cricket, be it men or women. I also don't think She'll necessarily uh, Be talking about The 675 for 5 That India made Against Pakistan At Multan In um, 2005 When Saywag Made his ridiculous 309 In just 375 balls With Sachin Down the other end uh, Making an unbeaten 194 they, they won that Test by an oh, innings Oh the
2: declaration game The yeah. one that everyone's Still angry at Raul Dravid about
1: Yeah well they, they win The test still uh, and, and Kumlay Takes 6 in the final innings You know stuff That Indian fans Dream of With the exception of Sachin not getting the 200 they um you know the, the very fact that uh, they were able to get a, a massive win over Pakistan I kind of touched on this before some of the the tensions run so hot between the fans but I, I don't want to do that because there's only one person on the final word shit list and that's for Saywag. so we've celebrated him
2: just enough <laughs> too much maybe that Elisa does know the show well maybe she just wants to mock us by making us talk up say Wag again it's possible it's possible but on the
1: basis that she knows the show well i would imagine she would have been listening jeff when we a couple of years ago well not quite a couple of years ago maybe about 20 months ago we were at brisbane and australia won in three days maybe it was two years ago who knows uh it, it was, was t- yeah it was the sri lanka
2: game in 28 19, 2019 January.
1: Gen- January, oh yeah 29. In that case it was It was more than Jesus, two and a half years ago Christ And uh, we went to the ECA To record our program And the ECA Is where the first test match Was played The exhibition ground uh, In Brisbane Of the 28-29 Ashes series Where England won by 675 runs, which remains the, the biggest margin by runs uh, in Test cricket, which of course was uh, was Don Bradman's Test debut when he made 18-1. and one. But England in the first innings making 521. Patsy Hendren made 169. They all kind of made runs, though. Uh, Australia had uh, an attack of Gregory, Kellaway, Grimmett, Ironmonger, Ryder and Stork Henry. And then a Australia all out 122. After
2: a busy day of dropping off babies down chimneys <laughs> or whatever, however it works.
1: England, by contrast, had Larwood and Tate, which might give um, some sense as to why they were able to bowl out. The home side for 122. England, second time around, hit 342 for eight just to punch the bruise with... Uh, Phil Mead making 73. Jardine, uh, 65, not out, and batting for the Ooh. better part of three hours. And then they set Australia at 742, and they're all out for 66 with a, a couple of absent hurt there with <laughs> Kellaway and Gregory. I think both of those were courtesy of Harold Larwood. <laughs> and Jack White took four for seven to be the main destroyer in the second innings to make the margin, 675 runs.
2: I know I've read that scorecard before, but it's still... It's still refreshingly brutal every time Yes To be set 700 and then not even get 100 No no. I mean, ow Yeah, and
1: they went of course went on to win that series Uh, Was it 4-0 or 4-1? 4-0 I think it was 4-0 Bradman's uh, first series as a test cricketer So that's where I left it, my
2: That's my bid for Alicia they dropped him like a gun. Uh, well, I, I also had a look at this and I thought because you had said that you couldn't find it anywhere as a, you know one of the more likely variations of numbers and I thought, well, what if it's something else? What if it's more oblique? Six for 75. I thought, who's hit 75 sixes oh, in Test good. cricket? Somebody has. Really? Tim Southey has. Oh, uh, um, your boy. Because Tim Southey got to 75 during the World Test Championship final that New Zealand won. Now, people sometimes talk about Tim Southey's six-hitting and he's done a fair bit of it. He's not quite the six-hitting monster that he's been made out to be because he gets this big boost from hitting nine of them on debut. So that helps out of your career total of 75. You knock off, what I don't know, 15% of them or whatever it is in in your first Test match. A hilarious Test match when he makes 77 not out. It's still his highest score. It happens when you hit a half-century in sixes, I guess. It was a real fuck-it sort of innings. Um, second dig... They're eight down when he comes out to the wicket and they need 225 more to win against England in Napier. So they're not going to get him, but he just starts swinging. They still need 207 when Dan Vittori gets out. So they're nine down at that point and he's batting with Chris Martin. <laughs> who, Chris Martin, he of 104 innings batted in Test cricket, 36 ducks, 28 scores of naught not out. So that's 62 out of his 104 innings. He made zero runs, either because he got out or because someone else got out because they thought he was about to get out. So Southies obviously said, okay, no room to do anything except put everything over the fence, and and that's what he did. Since then, he's never gone crazy like that again. He's never hit more than three sixes in an in innings, which is still quite a lot for a test innings, but he's hit three a, a handful of times and – you know, two a few times. But he hadn't hit a six in his last 10 Test matches leading up to the World Test Championship final. You know, seemed to have lost the mojo somehow. And then in the first dig at Southampton, New Zealand get a lead of 32. Southie makes 30 right at the end, gets them that lead, hits two sixes and takes his career six tally up to 75, meaning he went past Ricky Ponting for career sixes. I love looking at some of the players that Southie has more sixes than Clive Lloyd. Sachin Tendulkar, Ian Botham, Gordon Greenwich, A. B. de Villiers, Rohit Sharma, Carl Hooper, Jaya Surya, Jaya Wardner. So he's fifteenth on the all-time list. I was going to yeah, say it's who's, a couple more. It's, it's McCullum's the most, isn't it? Is McCullum the most? McCullum's one hundred and seven. One hundred and seven. Um, he's and Gilchrist
1: is a hundred. Because exactly, McCullum 100. hit his one in his penultimate Test match that we were at at Wellington. And then, of course, in his final test innings, he hit six or seven of them. Seven. Right, okay, so it went from 100 to 107, right, yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, which was the most ridiculous, one of the most ridiculous things I've seen in (laughs) test cricket. So 107, well, he's not really within striking distance of Baz. Who's second? Gilchrist on 100 even. Yeah, he won't get
2: that. And then Gale, Gale, 98, Callis 97, which is interesting. Um, I saw it yeah. just by weight of, of cricket played. But he's only a couple short of MS Dhoni. Could catch him. The duel is ongoing with Stokes, but he's six away from Peterson. Could catch him. So, you know, uh, you never know. Tim Southey, he could play another few years. He could.
1: Let's hope he does. Uh, thanks, Alicia, for being a great supporter of the show. And Alisa gets the great gift of giving Jeff because if you are featured with your number on the weekly final word episode Mm -hmm. you have no competition I mean on the weekend we pull a name out of the hat so to speak or point at the spreadsheet and not on the weekly show if your number happens to appear on a Tuesday or a Wednesday you are gifted the brick lane voucher in turn you can give that to whoever you want be it yourself Mm -hmm. or
2: somebody else anyone in australia can get a a case of 24 cans of delicious breckin <laughs> beer it can be it could be the, the low alcohol varieties if you're not really a drinker it could be the high alcohol varieties if you are um, it could be anywhere in between <laughs> if you are in australia you can give it to yourself Uh, It's called self-care, radical self-care. If you are not in Australia, you can give it to someone who is in Australia. And, uh, you know, one possible option that you might like to think of, think about, is the Revolver Dark Hoppy Ale because it just, in the last few days, has won the world's best porter at the World Beer Awards. That's right. It's better than Christian Porter. It's better than any other porters uh, that are going around. <laughs> the first one's not hard, but the other one is a stiffer competition. So the world's best porter at the World Beer Awards. It's a, a midnight black beer with restrained roasty characters and a velvety body. Mm. A dark beer that bursts with unexpected bright hop aromas of what's going on in here, candied pineapple, peach, Pine resin and hoppy floral notes. I mean, that just sounds like an absolute flavor soup that mm. you should get a spoon wow. and dig in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to just just dive in there. I'm ready to just, forget about the straw. I'll just put my mm. face straight
2: in the middle of it and and, and go from there. And, and pour it into and the bath. Pour it, exactly. Just get a few cases and, and tip them in the bath and hop in. <laughs>
1: exactly. I'll, I'll bathe in it. I, I love the idea that we're now um we now we're now. I mean, we loved being with Brick Lane anyway, but. The award-winning Brick Lane. I mean, it feels as though mm-hmm. this is a this is a pretty big deal.
2: I mean, yeah. you know, they're blitzing the world. They've won some. They've won a couple of medals before, I reckon, as well for the the Lager, the Backyarder, I think, um, and the Pale Ale, the One Love. I reckon. Uh, I've, I'm I'm doing a, some Brick Lane memorising, and that's what seems to be in my head. So, look, Brick Lane Brewing com, if you want to go check out what they've got to offer. But the most important thing, the easiest way to get your hands on some is to sign up to Nerd Pledge because you have like a, I don't know, two in 10 or better chance of winning the opportunity to give away a slab. Why wouldn't you? Brick Lane, delicious. And follow them on the socials. All those uh, handles are in there.
1: We've had a lot of people sending us photos of Brick Lane stuff. Uh, we, we've had um, people wearing Brick Lane merch Brick Lane Beers. Tag us, tag them. Let the good times roll. BricklaneBrewing.com.
2: G'day guys, this is Jimmy Neesham and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This is The Final Word uh, with Jeff Lemon and I'm very Very pleased to be joined today by Maeva Duma and Sinera Debande is joining as well to translate uh, for us today. Thank you both for joining the show.
3: It's a pleasure. Thank you too for having us.
2: So tell us uh, a question to both of you, really. Your last week or so must have been... Pretty crazy. It's a lot has happened. There's been a lot of attention on the Cameroon women's team. Uh, you seem to have a lot of fun playing in the qualifying tournament, and uh, suddenly everybody's watching your team play.
3: Well, generally it was uh, form as it was our first time discovering many things, learning from worthy the opponents were there, and most especially discovering the the pitch and all the the training ground, it was really, really, really fun and talking about the popularity back at home, it's really, really been so much, we gained so much in popularity because practically everybody watched our marches and we're very grateful for that and we hope it's going to grow our cricket.
2: We thought it was quite funny that we had to wait for this interview, uh, Maeva, until you came home from school it gives an impression about how, how big the jump has been from being at school recently, then suddenly you're playing for the national team, now you're back at school again. Uh, life is changing very quickly in one direction and then the other.
3: So she says that it's actually great for her because she has the opportunity to do two things that she likes playing cricket and going back to school. So it's actually fun for her.
2: <laughs> and tell me about the the feeling of significance to be playing in the very first matches for the Cameroon women's team. It's, it's a historical moment and you get to be a part of that.
3: She says it was very, very fun and a great opportunity for her because she learned... She discovered the new pitch, she discovered how to play the cricket even more and she gained a lot of experience playing with teams that have been playing cricket much more longer than her.
2: A question for both of you. Do you have a particular ambition for this team that you're in? Do you have a a goal that you would like to achieve with this team over the next few years?
3: Um, Yes, definitely. As you can see, it all started well. We have beautiful opportunity to participate in the T20 and all the experience we've gained coming back home. We're working more on that and effectively showcasing more and more our talent and having a beautiful opportunity to also meet other countries and gain more experience. So yes, we want to take our team higher and we want to make our nation be known. If it stands to cricket, good. We'll keep watching for that. What well, you say is that she learned that BF BF back at her and given the opportunity that it was quite challenging to strike out the striker. So she used that opportunity to storm out the non-striker since she was not all the time in her base. So it's a technique that she plans on practicing again if that opportunity comes up.
2: I think for us watching, we can believe it happening one time, sure. Two times is crazy. Three times? Four times? Could you believe that the other players kept making the same mistake and giving you the same opportunity?
3: Well, we must say that I think it was an opportunity for us to step into the limelight with that technique. Because we have been participating over here and the one thing that we don't joke with is leaving our base open. So she saw that opportunity and, yeah, it was just a perfect move for her to keep believing. <laughs> and we were equally astonished that they kept on repeating the same mistakes over and over again. So yeah.
2: Were, were they not talking to each other when, when the new player comes out? Did they, did they say anything to each other?
3: We or? have no idea. Maybe it's their way of playing. They're not used to that, probably. So Mm. we were used to that and we're very attentive.
2: So for Maeva, you're the first player ever to do this more than one time in an international game. You, You hold a world record. It's yours. How does that feel?
3: She's so excited, so happy to hear that she holds the world record for that. And she's so, so happy, literally... Extremely happy. She doesn't even have some words to express that, but as you can see on her face, she's extremely happy.
2: Yes, I can see that. And uh, what else do you hope to achieve, Maeva, with your game? What would you like to develop? Because you're bowling, you're batting in the top order, you have lots of opportunities in all different facets of the game. <laughs>
3: The, pas, et, no, she says say that she is going to perfect her well, button then go more go techniques, so that, 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 that she took that. can score a lot of runs. Not only hold record, world record, record for stomach out, equally for runs, and equally she's going to learn how to spin, to do the bowling spinning. So that's what she's going to do. She's going to work on that.
2: Excellent. And Sinera, what is next for your team? Uh, what's, What's the next assignment after this?
3: Well, for now, we just came from a T20 competition where we have gained a lot of experience and what we're planning to do is practice more because I believe so far now my girls and I, we know our opponents and we're not going to give room for any defeat anymore. So we're working more on that, practicing more and more and perfecting our game. That's what we're focusing on now.
2: Beautiful. Well, I think you have a lot of new supporters around the world for the Cameroon women's team, so congratulations on making everybody happy watching your game and we wish you the best of luck.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you so very much. It was a
2: pleasure talking to you. Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon.
1: Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Thank you to Maver Doomer for being part of our show this week. I love the fact that she had just returned from school and spoke to you, Jeff. I wish I could have been there on the conversation, but unfortunately it clashed when I had to see a man about a bike, believe it or not.
2: But you did a great job. (laughs) Um, Were you getting like a knockoff? (laughs) <laughs> down at the overground station or something. For
1: the, for, for the first time ever, no, I have not done that. My previous three bikes in London have been sort of, you know, um, gum tree. You know, how do you, you could never possibly know where they came from. But I actually bought a proper road bike, which I will now ride twice a year, as is the uh, as is yeah. the way with these things. But I've now got, I had to get it at a very specific slot, such as the way with COVID times and all the rest of it. But we'll see. Maybe I'll become a, a real sort of, maybe I'll take the cycling with an evangelical zeal. And and you'll see me, what's that thing that people do with that? Um, they play that game with their, is it with their back wheel off and they've got a screen in front of them? Is it pe- pe- oh, Peloton? Pel- Peloton? Peloton.
2: Is it Peloton? Maybe. It would, I don't that know. would make I
1: sense. Can... Peloton is very much a cycling term. Hmm. Um, but in all probability, I'll ride it three times a year and I'll have a
2: nice piece of kit sitting in the garden. Yeah, um, you're not not—you're not quite old enough to get really into cycling. I think that's more a sort of <laughs> first half of your 40s and up <laughs> kind of thing, where 44, I reckon, is the real danger age for intense cycling like oh yeah should i go on weekend trips and oh we just had a lovely 280 kilometer ride around this lake and i'm like are you fucking kidding me how far (laughs) like your ass is just your rates are (laughs) warnable yeah you're just ass is one blister like just one single continuous blister from cheek to cheek from horizon to horizon uh beautiful times
1: Right, uh, Jeff. we said we were going to talk about women's cricket in greater depth, professional women's cricket, not so much what was going on uh, last week in the tournament that Mave was playing in, although let's hope one day uh, that, that standard of cricket does become professionalised and all the rest of it. The England-New Zealand series that's mm-hmm. taking place at the moment, we talked about the T20s last week, there have been two one-dayers, the first of which was at Bristol On Thursday, England didn't bat particularly well, but still got 241, Jess Kerr... Same goes for both
2: games, really. They were both instances in New Zealand managing to cock up the chase when they uh, should have been able to avoid it.
1: I think the difference with game one is that 241 still felt, you know, like, the, the the average score for England in a winning game when batting first since the 17 World Cup is 247. So if you want to use that mm. as par, Australia way ahead on 289, by the way. New Zealand down at 207 in a first inning. So, you know, 241 is still a useful score. But yes, you're right that New Zealand didn't bat well. Heather Knight, 11 short of a century in that first game. So her hoodoo um, continues with one day century. She's only got one of them at Leicester, where we're going tomorrow. And that, that new ball, spurt, Jeff, with... Um, Brunt and Siver, the new white kookaburra doesn't swing for long but it does Mm. swing loads at the very start and Brunt bowled four maidens on the trot which had me rushing for the record book and thinking about Phil Simmons to Pakistan that night. Joel Garner. Joel Garner. And we actually found out for an England woman uh, the most most economical figures for a 10-over spell, Beth Morgan, who was obviously more a bat than a bowler, who Mm. took, I think, three for four from 10 overs against the Danish... Team in 1991 uh, yeah. or something The might but, um, of the
2: pastry merchants Yes, yes,
1: yeah. but no She wasn't able to quite uh, finish it in that respect But yeah, Amy Satterthwaite was batting At four and Divine at five mm. Which has been a, yeah, a source of some annoyance To me, I think, not annoyance, that's the wrong word But I, I think that batting them four and five I get they've got huge responsibility on their shoulders With Bates opening It felt to me that from 17 for two after 10 uh, They were never going to win the game And that's when Satterthwaite, and, I mean, at that point Divine's not even batted she comes in at thirty for three from about fifteen overs, and like the probability of, of the winning from there is so low that it requires almost a miracle. Uh, you know, whereas if they were betting in the top three together, then maybe they can lay a foundation. And I know that can that can backfire too. The new ball can get out good players, and, and they're left with that quite soft underbelly. But yeah, I, I think they've got the balance wrong.
2: Yeah, it feels like insurance policy cricket from them. That they know they've only got three batters in the top six and I know I've been getting stuck into the New Zealand women's team a lot I I, I don't want to be unkind about it I would love them to be doing well I wish they were doing well Uh, then I wouldn't be grumpy about it but they just don't have the cattle they've got they're filling out you know it's Sally's gap filler through that top order I mean Lauren down opening the batting she had her first ever good domestic season this summer She's never had one before, and somehow she's still been in the New Zealand team. She's a very good fielder, but she's got a shithouse record with the bat. She's made 250 over 100s in nearly 10 years playing the game. The fact that you've got to choose players who haven't been able to perform even at domestic level in New Zealand, and, you know, let's be frank, that's not the highest level of women's domestic cricket going around. Mm. If you're not dominating there, then... If you want to be a proper international standard player, you need to be dominating at that level. And they don't have players who are. So their options are pretty limited. And they have to keep putting players like down in to open the batting when she's probably not got the chops to do it. Someone like Maddie Green, who, you know, is one of the few players in their side who can hit a six. She can make a clean connection and go long. But she's, she's someone you want to see coming in at seven in a T20 game with two overs to go, maybe more than you want to see coming in up the top. Uh, hoping that she's going to build a long innings because she doesn't have a record of that. You know, she's got a a very poor record as well and, and, you know, Brooke Halliday sort of trying to make her way and and has had encouraging signs even in these last couple of games as well but, you know, got out at a crucial time in the second game. There's just so much fragility to their batting that how can they possibly try to put a team together?
1: Yeah, I, I
2: share most of those
1: thoughts. With Down, she's made a 90 against Australia and in 14 other one-day innings, her high score was 22 or something like that. And that was mm. yesterday until then her high score was 16. So a really choppy start to her journey. As for Maddie Green, I mean, it's not like she hasn't made important contributions, whether it be for the Brisbane Heat, that T20 at Hove last week. I mean, she can clearly do it. She's got a rapid 100 at international level, albeit in that Ireland game when they made nearly 500, uh, her and Amelia Kerr. But, yeah, it, just, it doesn't feel quite right. It's like they never replaced Sarah McGlashan, mm. which is a pretty long time ago now, isn't it? And you consider yeah. how much cricket she played for New Zealand and what a champion she was. So and that, that's probably not doing them a, a service either, but you, you know what I'm trying to say. Or, or Rachel Priest, for that matter, who had a... I'm, I'm not saying she had an extravagant international record, but someone who was on the T20 circuit, a consistent match winner at that level. Still is, absolutely. Still is, was playing in the 100 recently. So... The first game to Hoo's return from triple surgery on her foot. I mean that, that mole that they mm. and I'm going to I'm going to de- explain it poorly here, but I'll do my best. That they th- looked cancerous They cut it out, and that in turn led to more trouble inside her foot, which required more surgery and more surgery. So she didn't play the T20s, but she's back for the one days and yeah. hit the stumps twice. Bowled seven. Bowled uh, I want to say Amy Jones. I think in that first game it was economical. Was an, a yard quicker. Um, Hannah Rowe picked up a wicket early on as well for the first time in like. Seven one day As Hannah Rowe Picked up a wicket <laughs> Which I felt um, Happy for her Because I, I like Hannah Rowe As a point of difference Nice and tall Moves the ball away So Yeah Devine and Satterthwaite Did the best they could And the margin was uh, 30 runs in the first game was, was somewhat Padded out by the fact That the last two Combinations put on 68 With Tahuhu And Lee Casperick Smacking some runs At the end Alongside Satterthwaite, Who ultimately Was left stranded on 79 So A pretty scratchy game With about game all four time.
2: overs Left as well I mean It's, yeah, it's a real indictment When you You look at had they even batted through their innings, they might have pitched it. I think you're right. Yeah, just too much work there for Casperik, who got run out in
1: comical fashion too, which made my commentary sound comical because I kind of called her as being in. Because I read the body language as her cruising over the line, thinking, well, she must be in. They might look for overthrows. They went upstairs and she didn't even stretch, let alone dive, and she was out by an inch and they lose the game. So, you know, there, there's a... Yeah, it, it sort of bolsters your point, Jeff. They're not quite there. The second game, however, look, let's say, and this is really crude, way of seeing it but New Zealand probably need to play a 9 out of 10 and England a 7 out of 10 or a 6 out of 10 to win at the moment for they are so mismatched mm-hmm. and it looks like that's the way we were trending in the second one day England's top order misfire again Beaumont leaves a pretty good delivery from Devine that shapes away and cuts in and hits the top of her off stump They've rested Catherine Brunt, so they don't have her to rely upon. Uh, she was very good batting at seven in the first game, making 40-odd after a collapse of four for 31, but she wasn't there. They used Danny Wyatt as the, the swing player in the in the middle at number seven in order to play one fewer bowler, Wyatt playing her 200th game for England. And they really needed her, Jeff, because yeah. soft dismissals from Dunkley, from Jones. Siver, from Jones, all caught in the onside. I think Siver was caught in the offside after Knight got out first ball to row. Again, that outswing I mentioned before. And... Uh, one stage it was 146 for nine, and we're thinking, well, New Zealand are chasing 150 here, and then it was it was Danny Wyatt who made her highest score, Jeff, in one day international cricket in England, which seems. Remarkable to me, given she made a debut more than a decade ago, and she did it alongside Tash Farrant, who made 22 out of their partnership of 51, and that is a really great story. Farrant, who was in the original contract list back in 2015, she made a debut in 2013, had to wait eight years for a next one-day international, got dropped from the international list, back to semi-pro cricket. There wasn't even a semi-pro structure with the exception of the Super League when she lost her contract. has mm-hmm. done so well in the 100, so well in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint for the South East Stars that she gets back in the England team, takes the new ball but also shows with the bat that she's going to take every opportunity. So I love the Tash Farrant story and I think she's probably just about done enough to be in that World Cup squad already with that point of difference being a left armour.
2: It is really interesting and, and it's a women's cricket thing specifically that when you go to franchise cricket, as we've talked about on the show a few weeks ago, so many of the players who would be the lower order are actually batting middle order or even top. You sort of, Darno Van Eker opening the batting in the 100, Uh, players like Eccleston and Brunt batting in the top six, Sarah Glenn, for their franchise teams, and someone like Farrant does that kind of job so it comes into the England setup and is an 11 you know in the same way as the Australians will bat down with Wareham and you know Jonathan may be coming in at 9 or 10 when she's just about got a test 100 it, to her name it's it's pretty interesting that the tail doesn't mean the same thing in for the better women's teams going around you know for yeah, some of the yeah. the strugglers it does but for Ferrant coming in that didn't mean here's a rabbit that meant here's a pair that could put on some runs and I sort of had a feeling they would watching that game. I mean, Wyatt looked really good. She had a couple of dicey shots that chipped over the field, but she kept attacking but judiciously. She didn't go after everything but she also didn't let herself get uh, slowed down to a crawl when the wickets kept falling at the other end even though she was at seven and she's bounced around the order so much for England. She's been at five, she's opened, she's sort of been all over the place and and actually didn't make many low scores in 50 over cricket before she got dropped after her last, you know, I mean she made that 100 in Malaysia Eighteen months ago, or whatever it was, and then I think she had three bad games in New Zealand, and that was pretty much it. Um, I think you know, it was just the was inability out. to. Re- I think it was
1: just the inability to kick on with her starts, and that's now yeah. Winfield's problem, by the way. Winfield hasn't made a half century since twenty sixteen. Yeah, um, Winfield Hill, I should say, and it, you know she got out in a comical run out with White when they were both reaching mm. for the same end. But I mean, the way I see this England team, there's maybe two spots available for the World Cup. I think there is an opening spot that's there to be taken by somebody, be it. In the top order being promoted And maybe it should be Amy Jones She's averaging 15 in her last 10 one day internationals Now as we both know Amy Jones is class Probably the best keeper in the world at the moment Certainly warrants her spot in the England top 6 But given she isn't going that well at 5 Maybe giving her a chance to bat with the field up And a chance to go up and over the top of cover Her best shot She absolutely dominates domestic cricket I see no reason why you know, it's just, I mean, run of form, bad run of form, it happens, sure. Mm-hmm. But a bad time for a bad run of form might be the way of putting it ahead of a World Cup. So there could be the Amy Jones option, but a Specky that we're putting out there at the moment, I say where, like it's a campaign. A couple of us are saying...
2: Got <laughs> <laughs> <George laughs> to go to India.
1: George Orwellis, yeah. George Orwellis yeah. made 100 last week, made 85 oh, not out wow. yesterday, a couple of days really? ago. and.
2: Yeah, Georgia it, Elwes, it's like bringing back WG Grace. I, I, it's like bringing well, well, back she, the Model T Ford. Like, he, he, aren't we done with Georgia Elwes? He, here's the thing. Georgia Elwes, Georgia Elwes is
1: only 30. She's in career best form. And this is the key point. That World Cup's been played in March and April yeah, but it, in She's New in Zealand. career
2: best form, but the best of her career wasn't very good. So.
1: Well, but, but this is, but again, this, this is kind of the same point I made around Tash Farrant. <laughs> there wasn't, until recently, you couldn't go to the level below mm. and... Do as men have done for 100 years. Go to the level below, dominate, get back into form and push for a spot again. I think Elvis was probably thought her international days were numbered, but she's finding form at the right time. They are already through to the final of the Rachel Hayhoe Flint on next weekend, on Saturday at North they If they go and win that, she makes runs again. Given she is very technically correct, there might just be an argument that she could be in the offing to be one of the openers. If this Pakistan series doesn't go ahead, that's a bit of a shame really because that would have been three mm. more games to have tested it out, then the Women's Ashes, then the World Cup thereafter. So a lot of cricket through the winter for England. So that's one spot. And the other spot, which I didn't really think of this when when considering Danny Wyatt, but maybe it is number six, number seven on the count of the fact that maybe England don't need to play six bowlers. Because usually they balance up with Brunt at seven, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe in some World Cup games they'll need to, but if they play Brunt at eight, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and Siver as the as the fifth bowler and Knight as the sixth bowler, perhaps she can get away with White batting at seven and Dunkley mm-hmm. batting at six, and you've sort of got two finishes. then. It feels like White's too good a cricketer to not be part of the thinking for that World Cup, and I'm not sure whether she's got the, the form line to... Get another chance as opener. So maybe it has to be at six or seven.
2: And when you've seen someone do the job well, you know, if she's come in and played brilliantly at seven, do you then sort of do what every Australian selector does and say, well, we better pick them as an opener? You know, (laughs) we'll put an opener at seven and a seven as the opener. So maybe that is her spot. Maybe. But it's interesting what she was there to do. She was there to come in with eight overs left and and cart around the attack in, in happy hour. And instead she had to save the day and she did. She did it really well. And she played the sweep shot well, you know, they weren't facing a whole lot of spin, but she played it reasonably, which hasn't necessarily been a strong suit. It didn't look like she was craving that new ball pace field up that you often see a long-term opener want in white ball cricket and they can look a bit marooned when they uh, come into play with fielders back on the fence and, and the older ball.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure whether she needs it anymore. Like maybe her game's advanced to that level when she can moderate um, her game. So up and over cover, right? So women's cricket, four outside the circle, not five. And that makes a difference because usually it means mid-offs up at the death because you've got three out on the leg side mm. by default and probably a deep point. it's best shot, is up over the top of extra cover or mid off. It always has been. Yep. She's great three point as well, but she hits the ball inside out that way so well that mm. that is always open to her in the final ten. Almost always open to her in the final ten. Yeah. So
2: yeah. And it, so if it, they have d- a if they have a deep backward and a deep cover, say to put extra protection on the offside, then she's got a gap on the leg side that she can exploit if yeah. Well, if, if, you, you rarely see it, do
1: you? Yeah, you rarely see in, in any form of limited overs cricket, you always have three out on the leg side at the desk, right? You, I mean, mm. you're very rarely... In men's cricket, it might be three and two or four and one. You're never going two on the league side, two on the offside or three on the offside. Mm. So, yeah... I, yeah, I just think that that might have been a timely intervention from Danny Wyatt as we build up towards the next World Cup cycle. How about Kate Cross? She's got 31 wickets at 16 since 2019, since her big recall, which is the most in the world uh, since in that in that frame of time. Three wickets again yesterday, super consistent. Speaking of which, uh, Sophie Eccleston, I mean, you know, every day, isn't it? Give Sophie Eccleston mm-hmm. the ball, invariably takes wickets, picked up two and two at Bristol and again picked up Maddie Green the moment she came into the attack yesterday, I I've been doing some campaigning again, Jeff. Sophie, her brother, James, or Jimmy, or Jumbo, I think they they call him, his teammates, Lee Cricket Club made the Village Cup final uh, on Sunday, which is like a lovely old competition. I think it was the 50th running of it this year where they play at Lords. They play to the side at Lords. No concerns with that. But it really did highlight to me how preposterous that Jumbo Eccleston's playing a a final at Lords and Sophie's never played there. Wow. does that blow your mind, Sophie Eccleston, yeah, the best bowler like in the world has never played a Lourdes. So I put a thing in the cricket paper this week saying it's a pretty easy fix, isn't it? Put an annual limited overs game at Lords for the England women. Like they had one between ninety seven and twenty thirteen. They haven't played a game in London since the seventeen World Cup. That's you know four four and a bit years since they've even played in London. Full stop. Why not just have an annual one day international there? You would. Absolutely, you know, if you build it, they will come. We see that with women's cricket all the time. You get a and good how,
2: crowd. How how crazy <laughs> does it have to be? Oh, how wacky! We're going to have a whole game every year that's for the women to come and play. You know, if they can keep their roving uteruses inside their bodies, they can come in through <laughs> the gates of Lords. I mean, that's it's just bizarre that it even needs to be put in those terms of like.
1: Well, it's uh, yeah. I I would caveat that by saying it's not really an MCC. Remember, the MCC does the scheduling at Lords, right? And it's not like they're trying to keep women off. I mean, a lot of Mm. 100 games this year, MCC games and so on. It's more just the fact that there's been a decision taken at ECB Towers to prioritize smaller venues and pack them out and that makes sense right you've been to Fortress Chelmsford a couple of times with me mm-hmm. like that's a proper experience 5,000 people going wild at a at a T20 that is proper atmosphere likewise Taunton yeah. when they get it right Hove again and people will why say not well, give why is the opportunity special? for something yeah, yeah they yeah. say why Lords why not Manchester why not Leeds I would simply say that whether you like it or not Lords is the spiritual home of cricket and it would be a great symbol I think to young girls watching and we've had Izzy Wong commentating with us it's amazing watching the young girls come up to Izzy wanting autographs and wanting photos and whatever it's so brilliant you know seeing mm-hmm. that next generation come through wouldn't it be a great thing if someone like Izzy Wong as she invariably progresses to the international cricket is just as Normal for her to play at Lords as it is, maybe not just as normal because I'll never be Test cricket there. Well, not in the short term, but that she doesn't feel like it's a big deal rocking up at Lords, like it's kind of a oh yeah, I've played yeah. lots of times there. Yeah, um, they,
2: that, that, that you know, it's it seems. Completely straightforward And you know Like No, no offence to your Middlesex slot But like If, if Stevie Eskenazi rocking up at Lords every other week To play in third div Surely they could get, a, get The England women on For a game or two In a season
1: Yeah and, and look again It's not about either or It's not about Middlesex Or the existing fixtures It's just about like One game per year They've found room this year for a number of hundred games, right? So one game per year that, that the England women play. I think you make a set-piece event around it. You, you know, you give it the full treatment on free-to-air television, Sky, radio, yep you know, everything around it, right? You funnel all this energy into one day per year when the women own Lords and the England women at that. And, you know, then you see, I mentioned Izzy Wong. What about Charlie Dean, for example? You know, new to the England team, brand spanking new, really good bowler. She was an amateur cricketer at the start of this year. She said no to one of the semi-pro contracts at the Vipers because she was studying. She went from being amateur Mm. to obviously the, the London spirit, now into the England team, a match winning four for after that rain delay, beating the outside edge, beating the inside edge with flight, with hard spun deliveries, gives it a rip when she wants to. I think she's 20 I mean, it's a generation next right now. So, yeah, thinking not really about this group of England players, but thinking about what it might look like in five years' time when they're running the show Mm. and, you know, all these young kids are watching them on on television Mm. through the 100 and through the international game and and hopefully, you know, normalising
2: the idea of playing on test venues again. I can't really add anything else to it. It seems insane that it's not happening, that they're not doing it already, um, that that isn't part of it. You know, why not? I totally understand the, the small venues thing in terms of atmosphere and that it works most of the time but you know why not give yourself that room for ambition that administrators have had with the 2017 World Cup final with the uh, you know the 2020 uh, 2020 2020 World Cup final at the MCG you know why not Allow
1: that. And Seager as well for the 18 final. Remember, there was, was there 15,000 at that, if I recall correctly? Mm-hmm. They filled the Richards the Stadium. We're off to Leicestershire, Derbyshire and Canterbury to finish the season there. So again, yeah, smaller boutique venues, but I'm sure they'll do a good job as hosts. Rachel Hayhoe Flint finals on, uh, at Northance on Saturday. We've got the Sparks and the Diamonds playing it at Scarborough on Wednesday in the semifinal of, of that competition. And yeah, I mean, Jeff, I think overall, England not going that well. New Zealand going even worse again. Yep. They don't really look like defending champs to me right now. They have got huge room for improvement, and New Zealand at this stage, I doubt they'll make the semi-finals of their home World Cup. A lot needs to change there, yeah. uh, and part of that is because I look at across the pond, as it were, well not across the pond in this case, but I look to the series that's being played at Antigua at the moment, South Africa. They're a the sleeping giants at the moment. They're ranked number two in the world for a reason. Uh, they pumped India 4-1 earlier in the year in March and they've just thrashed the West Indies 4-1. They're up 4-0. They actually lost the fifth game in a Super over yesterday. But I think we are permitted, Jeff, to get excited about South Africa's prospects at this World Cup. I don't think it's like you and me talking it up anymore. I think it's actually mm-hmm. a real thing.
2: The South African women's cricket team have got to go to India. They have all <laughs> got to be on that plane they're all playing that well they could they could do something at this t20 world cup i've I've always felt that they were sort of almost there but not quite like the way they went out of the last couple of ICC tournaments felt right you know it felt it felt right that they weren't quite good enough to beat England in the semis in the seventeen World Cup. It felt right that Australia were too professional too well marshalled to and got past them in that rain shortened match uh, in sydney in 2020 like that felt like about the level where south africa belonged but they keep kicking on and they've got this yeah. i reckon it's a bit of a it's a bit of an 06 Socceroos golden generation sort of thing <laughs> for south africa because they've got dvn they've got cap and they've just got better and better as players and then they're bringing along this other cohort with them.
1: And the thing is they're doing it both ways. Like they, they are they are making big runs and, and, and winning easy and they're also winning those tight ones. So the fourth one, day might be the most impressive of the lot. They only made 185. Mignon Dupria made runs. It wasn't Lizelle Lee, you know, it wasn't mm. Van Nikirk, it wasn't Laura Wolvart, who've all made runs through the series. It was Dupria, what, 36 years old now, Jeff? Maybe even a mm-hmm. fraction older. She's been around forever. And they kept the West Indies to one hundred and fifty for nine in fifty overs. And, you know, it's Van Niekerk three for twenty-three, but Mazabada class, who hadn't influenced the series to that point, two for twenty-five from ten. You look through the wickets, Van Niekerk eight, Ayabonga Kaka six, Marazan Cap five, Sunay Loose five, Shadem Ismail four, Nadine De Klerk four, three in the final game, then class mm-hmm. two. That is I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six. That is seven genuinely capable match-winning bowlers. Mm-hmm. Then with the batting, Lizelle Lee has made 595 one-day runs this year at 99.2. Now ranked number two in the world, just behind mm-hmm. Dali, who's number one. Um, Laura Wolvat's made 400 one-day runs this year. She's taken the next step. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it's golden gen stuff, right? Like, you know, we saw Van Niekerk at the 100 this year. Cappy, mm-hmm. likewise. I mean, th- that's definitely part yeah. of it.
2: Throw in Dupree and Lee and Ismail, and you've yeah. got, like, such a good core. And it's probably now or never time for them in that they've got two World Cups in quick succession, basically. They've got the 50 over and then the 20 over the next year's one. uh, Which they're hosting, which is in South Africa in 2023. So they've got, you know, a, a couple of opportunities in the space of a year, basically, to get a piece of silverware. And if they don't do it now there is going to be that slip as as those those older players start to go. But they do have the talent coming in from the other direction because, you know, Teen Wolf is not a Teen Wolf anymore and has decided not to be a doctor for the time being and is is going to keep making shitloads of runs. They've got Nadine De Klerk coming through who's been so impressive at times and, and then these developing talents like Kaka and like Class, who, you know, they've been fringe players in the last few years but they're starting to... Develop more of a, a standing of their own. So, if they can have a subsequent generation coming through to supplement and gradually replace the golden gen, then they're looking good.
1: Yeah, I think if you were doing like a depth chart, I would say that they are more likely to make the World Cup final in England right now. And that probably, and that sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? Because England have done a fantastic job of regenerating their next generation. Mm. We've already talked about their semi pro setup that South Africa don't have. But yeah, this group of South African players. Um, feel like they could like they could theoretically pinch the World Cup. On a good day, they could beat Australia. Because, you know, mm. we, we price it in that Australia is so far ahead now because they've lost one game since the last World Cup. And that's true. Yeah. But limited overs cricket, part of the excitement is that you can't win all the time and I reckon yeah. the team most likely to knock them off are probably South Africa as it currently stands so yeah a bit of a watch this space there and it's got you know obviously we've we've been huge supporters of this on the podcast for years as well so I acknowledge our, our bias in this respect but I've just got a feeling about them speaking of the Australian women's team Jeff they start their multi-format points series against India at Mackay ...on Tuesday, probably Mm -hmm. after this podcast has gone out... ...the first of three one-day internationals... uh, ...they had a warm-up game on the weekend... ...I saw Rachel Haynes made runs... ...Pooja Vastrika made runs for India... Uh, ...that's exciting... ...you know, the the idea that she was uh, going to be an all-rounder... ...going to be a bat... ...then she was going to be an all-rounder... ...then she was going to be a fast bowler... ...now maybe she's a batting all-rounder again a utility uh, Pooja mm-hmm. so uh, the Danny Southern of the Indian cricket yes thing. that's right that's exactly when she was growing up she said I want to be the Danny Southern of Indian women's cricket <laughs> that'll mean nothing to our, our fans outside of like Melbourne but Footscray are in the grand final this week yeah. the test match starts on the 30th of September at uh, the Gold Coast at Carrara um, followed by three T20s also at Carrara Scacey will be there hopefully on the mm. 7th 9th and 11th of October I'm pretty sure it is So Scasey and all the boys Will be down there Watching yeah. the women's cricket pari- Scasey will be there too He'll be
2: parachuting in From Metric on air <laughs> So
1: uh, I mean I, I haven't done a huge amount Of thinking about this series Jeff I know you'll be covering it Extensively You know I, I suppose from an Australian Perspective They'll be thinking The most important leg Of this is the uh,
2: Is the one days off the top Given we're that close To a World Cup And given they get to Keep pumping the streak So they're up to 24 From memory Yes And, I mean, it does tell you how variable white ball cricket is that 24 matches in a row is a record and a pretty imposing one. But it's not actually that many games, you know. If you if you're a great Pakistani squash player of the fifties, you'd expect to win much more than twenty four games in a row.
1: Do you think that I, I kinda of take a different view. I feel like twenty four in a row is remarkable because of the volatility of limited overs cricket. Like
2: That's what I mean. That that's what I'm saying it is so volatile that twenty four is a big number. Oh sorry, right. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah, we are okay, right. In other sports, twenty four wouldn't necessarily be a big number you know I, like yeah I'm not going to get into the <laughs> trap of trying to provide examples that will almost certainly be wrong but it is volatile and they've managed to be good enough to stay ahead of the margin of that volatility I sound like Matthew Hayden now I'm having a full Matthew Hayden moment uh, while you've been, while all you've about been the processes
1: <laughs> while you've been going around in circles I picked up a new pink cricket ball Winnie's toy the reason I raised that is that Elisa Healy's been talking during the week about the prospect of playing an annual women's test match on the first weekend of November so I suppose Melbourne Cup weekend traditionally where it would be played North Sydney Oval a pink ball four-day test match and that just to be a standing part of the calendar in much the same way as the Boxing Day test to use her comparison I asked Susie Bates about this on the broadcast the other day she's all in favour as is Sophie Devine of course neither of them have played a test match before I heard Meg Lanning was asked about it by Jared Waitley on his program the other day every Month and every series that goes by, Jeff, we are getting closer and closer, I think, to women's test cricket being an unstoppable force. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it'll take a long time before it's normalised across the board, but when I say unstoppable force, I mean the, the very fact that there will be more of it played outside of the big three. I don't think it's going to be sustainable to say that at the women's ashes thing, and maybe it's the India thing periodically, mm-hmm. and no one else, it does feel like that the drawbridge is lifting somewhat.
2: Yeah, and if, you know, if South Africa are coming, why shouldn't they play a test match and if we're going there why shouldn't we play a test match over there I think it's something that's always much more likely to happen in the big three countries though even if it's not necessarily against big three opposition just because of the the cost of putting it on I don't think South Africa I mean you know (laughs) cricket South Africa doesn't have two coins to rub together at the moment given the Absolute disaster of a few years they put themselves through. New Zealand cricket, obviously. But
1: whilst that's absolutely true, their women's team plays shitloads of cricket. So, mm. I mean, I feel like South Africa might be the t- the country most likely outside of the big three mm. to to volunteer themselves to it, even if they haven't got you know shekels to rub together. It's kind of more around the idea that they they've got an appetite for more, yeah. not less. And look, even at the moment, right? Well, maybe New they can do here- it
2: at a lower cost. Maybe it's not going to. Cost the same kind of astronomical amount to put a match on in South Africa as it would in Australia or
1: England. They can play it at Benoni if they need to, the Benoni Mm. Hazelhurst ground in Johannesburg (laughs) that you and I have been to before. But, like, you know, this series right now, both Bates and Devine have said this could have been a multi format series, right? Given they're here for quite a long time. The challenge being that they want to get as much one day cricket in um, because they're near a one day World Cup and New Zealand have lost. I think they've lost 18 of their last 19 one-day internationals, so the more one is the better. Ooh. But, you know, it's going to be five years, between, <laughs> five years between one-day World Cups. I know COVID informs that, but, you know, it's a, it's a long gap between tournaments. I know Andy Zaltzman in the past has argued that we need to have more women's tournaments full stop, You know, as in fewer bilateral series and maybe a tournament every year, every second year a T20 and every second year a one-day World Cup. And if that were the case and we play more of the bilateral, well, sorry, more of the white ball stuff and the pink ball stuff, no, it wouldn't be pink ball, white ball stuff, at tournament level, it might, again, strangely it might open up some space for Test cricket because yeah, you wouldn't desperately need to play five one-days because you would be invariably playing more of it anyway as part of the championship and having mm. World Cups more frequently. So you might find room to, to to find a space for,
2: for test cricket to prevail so mm.
1: anyway there's there's lots of good energy around it right now put it that way
2: <laughs> lots of vibes, good vibes, lots of vibes, good vibes, good, much better vibes than there were a couple of years ago when, um, you know, the, the James Sutherland regime was saying, why do, why do we even bother playing 50 over cricket? Let's just go yeah. to what about T10? Have you girls thought about T10? Oh, it's nice and short, women and children can understand it. So, thankfully, that's gone. And we, I mean, we have India playing test cricket now, and I think that's massive. So, fingers crossed, Jeff. As we close the show today. Um,
1: I'm going to break some news, which will, of course, not be breaking news at all by the time this podcast goes up. But I predicted at the start of the show that we would have news about the England-Pakistan series by the end. And lo and behold, a statement for immediate release on from the ECB. Um, the ECB has a longstanding commitment to tour Pakistan as part of the Future Tours program. Earlier this year, we agreed to play two additional T20 World Cup warm-up games in Pakistan, blah, blah, blah. The ECB board convened this weekend to discuss these extra England women's and men's games in Pakistan, and we can confirm that the board has reluctantly decided to withdraw both teams from the October trip. The mental and physical well-being of our players and support staff remains our highest priority, etc., etc., etc. There's the added complexity for our men's T20 squad. We believe that touring under these conditions would not be ideal preparation for the World Cup, where performing well but remains a top priority for 2021. We understand that this decision will be a significant disappointment to the PCB, who have worked tirelessly to host the return of international cricket in their country, their support of English and Welsh cricket over the last two summers, etc, etc, etc. We are sincerely sorry for the impact this will have on cricketing in Pakistan and emphasise our ongoing commitment to our main touring plans there in 2022. So, right, from that from that they are essentially saying they're essentially, are they saying, play the they're essentially saying in 2022 they're committed to going there as part of the Future mm-hmm. Tours Program men's FTP. And they're saying here that in addition to that, before the World Cup, they agreed going to Pakistan for the men's team in October and then adding a short women's tour with double headers alongside the men's game. And then they've gone away to consider the extra men's games and withdrawing the October trip. What I'm struggling to piece together here is what about the women's games? Because they're not just for, they're not just T20 double headers. They had three mm. one days scheduled as well.
2: But they're withdrawing both teams. So.
1: No, they're withdrawing both teams. But it's not you know it's not as straightforward as you know. Yeah, we were just playing a couple of one a couple of twenties before the World Cups. You know, the, the women's tour was more it was more advanced than mm. the men's tour. More 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 wide reaching. More so I suppose what they're saying here is because of the mental, how taxing it would be from a mental perspective going to Pakistan right now. Um, so they haven't really cited security
2: concerns. Interestingly, yeah, it's more like the our players will be too stressed out because they'll be worried because of New Zealand pulling out. Seems to be the subtext there. Yeah,
1: yeah, it does, doesn't it? And then they they reiterate at the bottom their ongoing commitment to a main tour to our main touring plans there for 2022. Hmm. So they're sort of. Treading the tightrope there a little bit,
2: yeah. We're definitely still going to come, but we're going to uh, come,
1: but we're going to come next year. Yeah. Uh, by it's which the, time, by which time, the Australian team would have pulled out.
2: And I, mean, be I suppose they bought security. themselves space. Yeah, they bought themselves time to have more security assessments. It's basically the um, cricket board equivalent of the text that you send when you haven't left home yet, but you're you're like, oh no, I'm definitely on the way. Yeah, just just getting to the tram stop now. Yeah, no, I'll, no, I'm coming. I'll just be um, I'll be there at ten instead of eight. You know, yeah, that you, sort you, of, you're still ironing a shirt
1: and you haven't got yeah. out the door, but you said you're at a tram stop. No, I, I agree with all that. So time will tell what that will mean, uh, I suppose. Uh, The other bit of news we forgot to mention earlier is that Ravi Shastri isn't going to continue coaching India beyond the T20 World Cup. We probably Mm. should have mentioned that when talking about Virat Kohli uh, giving over the T20 captaincy at the same time. But you know what? Over the years, Jeff, we have talked enough about Ravi Shastri. And if it means that by him leaving the Indian job, we don't have to talk about him so much into the future, I'm perfectly at peace with that. As I am drawing a close to this episode, uh, if he goes, so-
2: if he goes like a tracer bullet, if he vanishes <laughs> into the night like a tracer bullet, um, that is okay. I think his contract was up after the T20 World Cup anyway. So um, I, I don't think there was an ex, much expectation that he would continue, but he's gone all's, all, all's well that ends well for Ravi. It usually does, I'm sure. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. In closing, we didn't actually have an ad in the middle of the show, partly because um, uh, we stuffed it up. But I want to add that if you want to be um, working with the final word through what is going to be an incredibly busy time, uh, T20 World Cup, Ashes, Women's World Cup, I mean, Women's Ashes, which will be after the Men's Ashes as well, so both Ashes series, we're going to be making a lot of Final Word, like a real lot. Uh, We've just passed, I don't know, two and a half million on YouTube without really putting the foot down on that platform yet. We'll be doing loads more on there. Uh, The podcast numbers are only been going in one direction for the last couple of years as well, which is really exciting. If you want to join up with us and have uh, your story told uh, in the middle of our programs each week, that'd be really cool. And we'd love to have you on board. Just drop us a line at finalwordcricket at gmail.com. Uh, thanks as always to our pals at brick lane brewing who are with us week in week out thank you to our pals uh, on patron who many of whom were at the, the vaccine game that we talked about off the top probably in too much depth in hindsight but i enjoyed it uh it was a good thing to organize uh, everybody who's on there uh, has been helping make the show through especially last year during the pandemic when it was almost impossible to make the show patron.com forward slash the final word if you want to contribute to there and help us make our show uh, consistent uh, throughout the weeks to come and the months to come, uh, and thank you to everybody who's listened and rated and reviewed the show. DC, our editor, the bad producer, production team back in Melbourne. Jeff, have I missed anybody?
2: Don't think so. Uh, I I reckon you've you've swept the field. We do this show I know once a week usually. Why not once a week? Usually comes out on a Wednesday. There's the history show on the weekend. It's good fun. You'll have no cross for the history show, I should say, because I've um, I'm doing six games mm. in
1: six days, so I, I can't I can't do story time prep this week. But uh, Daniel is uh, very excited to rejoin the show in my place one more time. Yeah, three times in five weeks.
2: Eek. Sorry about <laughs> he's, that. But yes, yeah. it's, uh, he's, he's having fun though. He's enjoying it. We're enjoying it. It changes as good as a holiday. I think that's it. Final word out. We'll see you next.
0: Ta-da. I had to go about it. Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at FinalWordCricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. FinalWordCricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks once again to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at BrickLaneBrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.